Hi, I'm Ryan Guth. Each week, I'll be sitting down with inspirational men and women whose energy makes our city a more interesting place to live. So whether you're new to Albuquerque, just visiting, or have lived here your whole life, ABQCast is my way of sharing these conversations with you. Now let's get to it. Hey there, Albuquerque. This is Ryan Guth with ABQCast, and I'm delighted to be sitting here in this beautiful, brightly lit corner office uh, at the, on the top floor of the Albuquerque the Magazine building. And I am sitting with Laurel Lynch, and he is the publisher of this wonderful magazine. A little backstory, this magazine was the very first magazine, or actually the very first item that I bought when I moved to Albuquerque. And it happened to be the singles issue. I was single at the time. I'm very much not single anymore. Sorry to disappoint you all. No, I'm just, just <laughs> kidding. But uh, I've been a subscriber ever since, and uh, it holds a special place in my heart. And it's one of the things that I think Albuquerque does really well. And we'll get, I'm sure we'll get into that. But uh, just pleased to have Laurel Lynch with me here today. Uh, so thank you for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate it. And also, I appreciate you not only picking up the magazine as your first buy since you moved to Albuquerque, but also for subscribing. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. No, happy to support it. I think my beef with Albuquerque since I moved here about three and a half years ago was is that there's like so much potential in Albuquerque. And you can see all the, the movers and shakers and the people that are doing really cool things. And you can read about them in your magazine. These are the people that I feel like are taking this potential and this energy and they're running with it. And they're highlighted each and every month in the magazine. But we have experiences, and I'm sure there are a lot of people that will commiserate with me on this. We have experiences day in and day out in Albuquerque where we go, man, there was so much potential there, but the execution was like a D plus, you know, and and I'm sure that's everywhere, you know, but I think it's great when we have something that really truly highlights how great of a city we live in. You know, it's it. I like to say in my podcast, like it's more than just the weather, because that's the first thing that people talk about when they talk about Albuquerque. Right. But if they picked up the magazine and they flipped through it, they can see there's a whole lot more good stuff going on than just 310 sunny days per year. Yeah. You know, so so give me a little bit of backstory about about you. I know I know that you were worked for the L.A. Times. You worked in Arizona as a journalist. Yeah. Bring me back to like, how did you decide that that's something you wanted to do in the first place? You know, I think it actually would be an interesting to hear that backstory from tons of people. I, I wonder if they, they have like a seminal moment. You know, I'm sure a lot of them do because, you know, I did uh, when I was in high school. You know, I was terrible at math, terrible at science, and but I was pretty good in English. You know, I could write and, and uh, turn in essays and stuff. And so I was like, you know, my senior year in high school in, in Thoreau, which is between Grants and Gallup here in New Mexico, I didn't know, you know, what I was going to do with my life, essentially, and um, got a notion that maybe I could, you know, be a writer for study journalism or English in college and maybe be a writer. I was also a big sports fan. And so I just kind of put those two together and I was like, well, maybe I'll be a sports journalist. And so because I had that interest and those are the only skills I had, that's what led me to that. Mm -hmm. I actually had an uncle who told me there was a real need for hydraulic engineers, you know, which is, you know, the study of water hydrology because sure. we live in a you know desert state. Right. So I took a bunch of math classes my senior year in high school. Disastrous results. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm in trig and uh, physics and all these things. And I just I, I, I flopped terribly. I, I withdrew from those classes after about a month, went back to my English classes. And so that's what led to me studying journalism in college becoming a reporter. After my reporting days were over, you know, I started a small company where I was doing some publishing, you know, designing posters, flyers, brochures, annual reports, stuff like that. And then I moved to Albuquerque back home to in, in 2003 and there was no city magazine here. And I thought, Albuquerque needs a city magazine. So, you know, I just, you know, in my bedroom, I wrote up a quick business plan and just started putting it together and hired an editor. And I had a good friend of mine who was uh, in advertising sales at the time. And, uh, you know, brought him on board. And that's that's how we uh, laid the groundwork for the first issue, which came out in 2004. So what did Albuquerque the magazine look like back then? Well, I have a, an issue here in my office I can show you. It was 80 pages. Other than the size, I, I like to think it was very, it still holds up. I'm still very proud of what we did that first issue. We talked about, 
you know, things that were uh, iconic to Albuquerque. And one of the reasons we did one of our feature stories was about things that are iconic is because a big part of the magazine's mission is to make Albuquerque feel good about itself. You know, we say sometimes it's a love letter to the city every month. Hmm. And earlier when you were talking about Albuquerque and sometimes you said we don't execution, you know, is not, you know, sometimes lacking or, you know, whatever it is we're lacking in all cities are lacking in certain ways. I think sometimes ours is we just don't have enough positive self-esteem about ourselves and enough of a an outlook on that could say that we are good and great even. And that's what the magazine tries to do. We're trying to say, look, we are great. Look what we have. Look what we have going on. Yeah. So. Well, every, every time I go on a vacation and I come yeah. back to Albuquerque, I'm like, I'm really glad I'm back. Yeah. Uh, Isn't all, that true, though? It's true. Well, they say yeah. the land of entrapment and all this this yeah. stuff. It, it's absolutely true. Yeah. And so on one side, you hear all the, you know, how be- you know, obviously how beautiful it is. If you're an outdoorsy person, it's yeah. a great place to be. I mean, you can literally have any kind of dinner you want. You want yeah. Thai food? We got Thai food. You want Vietnamese food? We got Vietnamese food. You want Italian? We got a place that makes handmade yeah. gnocchi or whatever, right? <laughs> and what you're saying, is, I love what you said, a love letter to ABQ, you know, yeah. a love letter to our city. Because I feel like you could you could take this magazine as a brochure for Albuquerque yeah. and hand it to somebody and be like, wouldn't you want to live here? You know, it, it's like the best recruitment tool for people yeah. to move to the city yeah. that I think exists in Albuquerque. Yeah. And that's our mission, I think, is is to take that message and show it to ourselves mm-hmm. and show it to our own residents and say, hey, don't you love living here? Isn't yeah. that, you know, isn't this a great place? You know, there's one thing, Ryan, that I think is that I have seen so many times that I think a lot of people would identify it as a pattern that they would just sort of knowingly nod their heads at. And that's this. I have, I can probably count on both uh, hands and all my toes, all, all 20 digits, the number of people who have left Albuquerque because Albuquerque wasn't to their liking or wasn't up to their standards or mm-hmm. what they wanted something better. And they moved somewhere, Maryland or, you know, the West Coast or Florida or something. And they do this big goodbye, you know, and two or three years later, they're back. They're back. Yeah. <laughs> and, they're, and they're more appreciative when they come back. Yeah. I think they're a little more cognizant of how great we have it here. You know, it's happened a bunch. I'm telling you, I can I can rattle off 15 names of friends who've done the big goodbye, you know, on social media or even in person. And then they, and then they come back when they come back. They're just a heck of a lot more grateful for who we are and what we have. So where do you think the naysaying comes from? Like, where do you think the Albuquerque gets down on itself? Where does that where does that like that victimhood yeah. thing come from? I don't know. I I think when you go someplace else, even on vacation, and you see all the good things, I think the first, your tendency is to say, well, how come we don't have that? Mm. I'll give you a good example. I, I just flew back last night from, I was in Kansas City for a couple of days, suburbs of Kansas City, and uh, and I saw some really cool things there. Yeah. And like, for example, I went to a toy store in Lawrence, Kansas, three-story toy store. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, toy stores really, I mean, Toys R Us has gone out of business. Everyone buys online, right? Mm-hmm. Anymore. But this place had, I mean, I don't know how many thousands of square feet of toys. Sure. It blew my like, mind. Like an FAO Schwartz or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> you know, just internally, I was like, how come we don't have one of these in Albuquerque? But of course. You're like, I'm you going to come back and start a yeah. toy store. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that that business model is probably flawed because everyone goes online. Mm-hmm. But it was really nice to see that. Yeah. And, and I saw many things during the two days I was in Kansas City that I thought, wow, this is amazing. How come we don't have that? But. You know, we have things here that are amazing that they don't have. We're getting a Top Golf, people. Like, hello. <laughs> Can I just say something about that Top Golf? <laughs> I want anybody listening to this podcast. If you've ever been one of those people that went to Scottsdale to Talking Stick and to that Top Golf, uh-huh. and you posted up the wazoo to show all your social media friends how much fun you're having at Scottsdale Top Golf with the drinking hand and hitting golf balls, you better damn well post those same kind of <laughs> posts here when you go to Top Golf in Albuquerque. Okay, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Now we have it. Yeah. What, right. What? Literally, what else do we need? Well, that was the thing with Dave and Buster's. I remember before Dave and Buster's opened, people were like, "Ah, oh, we we don't have a Dave and Buster's. We need a Dave and Buster's. It sucks. We don't have one." Well, now we have one. Right. So support it. And, you know? and what's up with that gym next door to Dave and Buster's? There's like a million people there all the time. Oh man. Gyms are there's I mean Orange Theory and Choose and all the other gyms are blowing up. 
I guess people are, I don't know, tired, tired of being tired or something. I, I think it's an extension of, of the social interaction. You know, I think the, they're not just gyms where you go to work out. They're gyms where you connect with other people, you network there, you, you know, it's sort of like a social club. Okay. So this is really interesting that you bring this up because when I first moved here, I found it very difficult to break into a group of people. You know, like I think every because maybe we're here for so long, you know, you have this land of entrapment thing and people grow up here and they stay here. They keep their friends from like high school or college. And so moving here as an as an adult is hard. And I know there are people listening that are thinking, man, I just moved here. I just took a great job. Maybe I'm working at the labs or some other cool techie thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm in my early 30s. Like, where do I find people? Where do I meet people? I mean, the gym is actually one place. We actually know somebody who met their future wife at the gym. Okay, you know, but have you? Where have you seen? Where have you seen the social scenes come together in Albuquerque? Or people? How can they? How can they break in? What's your advice? Well, I'll tell you one area in which is probably the best social networking opportunity is just in business networking. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a lot of people who do multi-level marketing or they're agents of some sort. So they're kind of like working for themselves, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to have a big brick and mortar store to be in business anymore. You basically just need a business card and, you know, some, uh, I guess, sort of a a mission of mm-hmm, some kind. Mm-hmm. And so I see a lot of networking there. Okay. As far as on the social side, I guess, you know, once you get past a certain age, that kind of disappears unless you're willing to, you know, go out and party a lot and, you know, hang out with people that, mm-hmm. because I think the social networking for people who are, let's say above 40 and you're not there yet. Mm-hmm. So I am, I'm over 40. So it wouldn't necessarily be at the fast paced bars. It might mm-hmm. be more at like steakhouses that mm-hmm. have a bar attached. And so you see a lot of people there, but I'm surprised you said that you, it's hard to break into the, some of those circles. I would think that. Like you know, I got married. To a woman that I met in Albuquerque mm-hmm. online, okay, right, and her friends became my friends, and that's kind of where I had to start, right. And then it became, you know, work colleagues and yeah. and their and their families. And then when you become a parent, you know, then there's this weird like parents club that you never knew existed. There's these like <laughs> parents out there that are like, let's talk about our babies, yeah. you know, and let's you're talk like diapers. Let's talk about, yeah, we know the Costco ones with the stretchy bands on the back don't really lay flat. They're really hard to, <laughs> to you know, do the Velcro thing on right, the front. Right. And so we're commiserating about, you know, different diaper brands and stuff. And you're like, oh, wow, this is where my life has, this is where my life has gone. You know, we're meeting people at the lactation group and, <laughs> and so forth. Right? So, I mean, that's kind of where it's, it's gone. Yeah. But I, yeah, for like the young entrepreneur, I mean, you moved away. Right. You moved away and then you came back. What was that like? I think on some level. So I, you know, I, I'm. And you weren't even from Albuquerque. You were, you were from outside of Albuquerque. No. And I I went to New Mexico state. So out of, you know, out of high school, went to school there. And then, and then from there is when I jumped around and moved to, to other markets. I'm an Aggie. I'm, I'm a proud Aggie. And so I don't necessarily know that move away from Albuquerque, move back Mm -hmm. uh, type of thing. But Real quick, I want to run this. I want to circle back around because you were talking about, you know, meeting people in, in social circles. Do, do you think maybe that's not an Albuquerque thing? You think maybe that's just a social media thing that exists anymore in so much as people, it could be. people don't, you know, go out and meet people actual in person in, in circles anymore. They just network electronically. Yeah, that could be true. I, I think moving here coincided with maybe a, a shift in technology yeah. that maybe happened to be partially coincidental too, yeah. right? Because I moved here from New York City. Yeah. And in New York City, I had to put myself out there. To, I belonged to a, like a social club there where that was curated. Yeah. You know, here are a bunch of people that you all should know. Here's some free white wine. Yeah. Go have a great time. Yeah. And I moved here and I was like, well, that doesn't exist here. So what do I do? You know, and, and that's just I mean, that, I think that's a function of the population in New York. Right. You've got, so, you know, gosh, 50 times greater population than we have. So yeah. concentrated that way. So I don't know. Yeah, that, that might be a good problem for somebody to tackle is uh, is maybe having. I know there's a lot of business meetup groups that is endless. There's tons mm-hmm. of those. But you're right. Outside of that, I don't know of a lot of. You know, the young kids, you know, they they date on social media, right? They mm-hmm. go on these sites and that's kind of how they connect. Um, there's still a college social networking atmosphere in person. But, you know, yeah, it's that might be a tough, that, that's something tough for, I think, someone in their like late 30s or 40s to understand and mm-hmm. to break into. I, I 
I can see how that's a challenge. Maybe there needs to be something. Maybe maybe somebody's got to start something here, no. you know, to uh, to solve that problem for people who move move to. I mean, hopefully, sports and wellness did it, you know, yeah. already or defined or one of the, yeah. any of those those big so, gyms. So out it'd there. be like a social networking site to make people meet outside of social networking. <laughs> yeah, so. well, yeah, kind of. There's this club in New York called Ivy, mm-hmm. and they're also in like L.A., Miami, Chicago, yeah, Seattle. And, and uh, DC and Boston, I think. And uh, I was, when I lived in New York, I was like the, their New York like ambassador. So I would like go and like help recruit people for this club. And it started online. You, you basically apply to the club. Uh-huh. You get like an interview over the phone. And then you go to like a new member kind of warm up kind of mixer thing. And then from there, if you're accepted into the club, which I mean, like if you could pay for it, like you were, you know, I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, that paying for it kind of weeded out certain, right. you know, certain people, I guess. But, but it's New York, I guess what kind of what it's New York is very discriminatory in that if you don't have enough money to live in New York, like you just can't, yeah. you know. So at, from there, you would have like weekly events. There was always be like curated stuff mm-hmm. and there was always an open bar, which always helped. So, yeah. It, it, and then they had an online side, too, where, you know, you can yeah. you could connect with the people you met in person on their online platform, which is really not very robust or awesome. But it was cool because it's like these people you would never have met in your daily life. And you would never go do these cool activities that they, they curated for you, like an art gallery opening or a, um, a, a tour of a winery upstate, that kind of thing. You know, yeah. So you wouldn't do that on your own. Sure. So I always thought Albuquerque could use one of those. So if someone wants to tackle that, you know, hit me up. I'll be an investor. So, but yeah, so uh, now what does it take to start a magazine? Like I, this, that whole thing, I mean, is it a loan? I mean, do you need a loan? Do you need a lot of capital to, to start a magazine? Well, yeah, you, you print do. It. I mean, yeah. Right? <laughs> so it's different from, you know, an electronic venture because you actually have to buy paper and ink, right? Okay. And the process to put that together. So yes, you do. And I, you know, when I started the magazine, I had, I had a little bit of business capital that I'd accumulated through, you know, doing, like I was telling you earlier, I had started uh, a little publishing company. Mm -hmm. And so I had some money in the bank and it lasted about a year. I went through about a year and then I had, I was lucky enough that two of my employees wanted to invest in what we were doing. No, it was the publishing uh, company, sorry to interrupt you, but was the publishing company a very low overhead endeavor to start? It was for me because I didn't have to shell out anything until I had a, you know, until I had earned some business, right? Mm -hmm. Like a a contract to do, let's say a visitor guide, right? So I got the contract to do it and then, you know, got paid, let's say half of the cost of it up front, Mm -hmm. put it together, published it, printed it, you know, delivered it and then got paid the other half. So that it was project by project. Okay. Yeah. So that's how I had some money in the bank. And each project was pretty much funding itself. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Gotcha. And so with Albuquerque, the magazine, you know, we, I, I knew that the advertising revenue was not going to sustain the cost of everything right away. It would take some time before we, you know, got, got to that critical point. So it took about a year, I'd say about four, maybe 14 issues in, we finally broke even. So yeah, it was tough. You know, we, it, it almost, there was a time in which I was going to probably almost closed our doors and, um, for ABQ the mag, for ABQ the mag. Yeah. After, so we started in 04 of April and by about, March, April of 05, about 10, 11 issues in, it was like, wow, I'd burned through all the cash that I had. We had revenue coming in from newsstand sales and from advertising, but it wasn't enough to sustain payroll, to sustain the cost of printing, all that stuff. And like I said, right around then, two of my employees uh, bought in a small percentage of the company. And so I used that capital to, as an infusion, got past the hump. And then probably by that end of that summer, you know, we we were good. We were in the black after that. So, wow. Yeah. So what was it what was it you think that caused the de- the deficit? Well, it's it's just a matter of you know you're priming the pump, right? Mm-hmm. So the the amount of advertisers we had on our 15th issue was probably triple what we had the first issue, maybe quadruple. And so as it's building up, and of course you're billing somebody, you're not going to get paid on the spot. Sure. You you sell the ad and we don't bill until the issue hits the newsstand. And then they have 30 days to pay after that. Okay. So there's like a probably two and a half month lag between the time we actually get a name on a contract and then we actually get a check in hand. So that was part of it. So it was just kind of catching up, you know, on that. And then um, 
you know, knock wood, we got to the point where, you know, about a year and a half in, we were, we, we had gotten past that critical point. But I think a lot of publications and restaurants and, you know, other business endeavors, before they get to that point where, you know, they've primed the pump, they, they can't sustain it. You know, and that's the toughest part about business. So it's like, it's like there's a, there's a lull. And yeah. then there's a tipping point kind of yeah, thing. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So when, when did you know, like, this is, we're good. We're like secure. This is going to be a thing <laughs> that if I want to do this for a long time, I feel like I can continue doing it. Was there a per, per certain point? I don't think, Ryan, there's any small business owner anywhere that ever feels that way. You just don't. Like mm-hmm. you're, you know, I saw, I once saw, uh, you know, those motivational posters and I saw one that said, whether you're the gazelle or the lion, Every day you hit the ground running mm. and it's true. Like you have to, you know, you can only eat what you kill. Right. And mm-hmm. so I think, like I said, there's any small business. Owner, and I'm sure that happens even at large corporate America. I think they're constantly not that. Yes. I don't think we're going to, you know, if things really hit a rocky patch. You know, we're not going to go away immediately. But, you know, having said that, you know, we got to constantly be working and, you know, sort of feeding the machine in order to stay healthy. Now so you're fighting also print advertising or sorry, print media is a really, I mean, I, I still like it. I still like the, tan- yeah. the tangible yeah. thing, but I mean, I'm sure there's probably a lot you have to do to keep yeah. just a print magazine sure. afloat too. Sure. I would say we started around one of the most critical times for print, which is, you know, 03, 04, right? Mm-hmm. So right around that time, the internet had really then started to get robust with advertising. And so the first victim would have been daily newspapers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, classified ads around 03, 04 started to give way to Craigslist, mm-hmm. right? So classifieds are a big part of the revenue stream for a daily newspaper. Sure. So then all the pundits came out and said, well, print's dying, newspapers are going away. And it's true. They started to scale back. I think something like 350 daily newspapers have gone away since we launched. Mm -hmm. So yes, that industry has really changed. But right around maybe 08, 09, 2010, the industry for niche media, which is what we are, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're basically a lifestyle magazine, started to come back. And I think it's because there's so much on the internet that let's say if you're an enthusiast of headphones, mm-hmm. right, or microphones or audio equipment, mm-hmm. yeah, it's all over the internet, but you have to go find it. Right. Whereas you can pick up a, a copy of Audiophonic magazine, mm-hmm. you know, or subscribe to that, and it's all in one tidy little package. Yeah. So I think consumers started to realize that it was it was such a worldwide cluster of information on the internet that that they started turning toward that. So niche and regional magazines, specialty magazines became a little more in vogue. And that was us. So your job literally is to clean the noise out of people's lives and say, here, you should pay attention to this. Yeah. Yeah. So if we we distill that to Albuquerque, the magazine specifically, yes, our job is to say, hey, man, these are the cool things going on in our city. This is the cool places to eat. These are fantastic places to shop. These are amazing things to do. These are where you can take your out-of-town guests. These are the people that are doing all these things and making things happen. So really a publication about people. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say that's our that's the core of what our editorial content is. And so, yeah, we distill all of that into this like 400, 300-page uh, edition every month. Yeah, it's a lot more than 80 pages now, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, the print, the print bill's a heck of a lot more too, so... You know, so where is, I mean, obviously the money is made in advertising in this business, right? But so newsstand, is that, I mean, is that really, do you kind of break even on the newsstand thing? Well, here's the thing about newsstand. And I, over the years, I'll be honest, Ryan, I've had so many startup publishers come through my doors or call me or email me and say, Hey man, can I sit down with you and pick your brain? And, and I've said yes to all of them. Mm -hmm. I've helped tons of them. And I try to give them the best advice because I don't want any magazine to ever go away because then the people we're selling to lose faith in print as a medium. So I want them to stay around. I want them to thrive, you know? And one thing I've told every one of these young publishers, these startups that that I've sat down with is this, build an audience first. Don't write your content for subscribers or or, or, I'm sorry, don't write your content for advertisers, write for your readers. Mm -hmm. Because once you capture the reader's attention, now you've got a viable product because anybody can just throw ink on paper and put it out there. Um, but if you don't have an audience, uh, you know, a captive and engaged mm-hmm. audience, then you have nothing. And so we put a lot of effort. We have two staff photographers. We've got 
three staff editorial people. We've got graphic designers. We, you know, we, we have an editorial calendar that's laid out a year in advance. We know what we're writing about. So we put a lot of stock into making sure that we have good content. That's where it starts. And then we've always worked on building that. And the rest then comes naturally if you've got an audience. That's literally like the advice that every entrepreneur who's trying to engage people would should get, right? Yeah. The that advice of build it for the people yeah. first, because you need people. Yeah. There is a um an article, gosh, from it probably at least 10 years ago called A Thousand True Fans. Okay. Uh, it was a, a tech guy, and I'm totally forgetting his name right now. And I'll link to it if uh, uh, in the show notes if I could if I can remember who it is. But a thousand true fans basically says you need a thousand people in your life who are just drop dead will do anything that you. They'll subscribe to anything that you put out there. They'll buy anything that you're selling. If you can get a thousand people to pay you a hundred dollars a year, you made a hundred thousand yeah. bucks. You right? You made it. Yeah. You know what I mean? On your on your own. And it has to do with what does it take to make people sticky, you know, yeah. to, to to your content yeah. right now? I would, I would venture to guess that your thousand true fans, you have more than a thousand true fans that love the Al- Albuquerque, the magazine. I hope so. At this point. <laughs> so how many subscribers does Albuquerque, the magazine have? I think our round number right now is about 7,500. You know, it goes up and down. One of our challenges is to is to renew our subscribers. And I think that that part has been has been a challenge. Uh-huh. A lot of people have asked us, you know, over the years, uh, you know, if we why don't we have a digital edition? Mm-hmm. And there's just the critical mass for people who would support a digital and and who I wouldn't read it. V- yeah, is not that great in Albuquerque. Yeah. It is, and I publish our friends in Chicago and and New York and Philadelphia who they do have digital editions and they're widely read. So like just Kindle reading yeah, on the Kindle, exactly kind of thing? on oh, their okay. tablet. You know, and so those are, there's a lot of commuters in those cities and there's, you know, but here it's still people want to hold and touch and feel, a, you know, a magazine. And so our thing has been to promote that, that that is, you know, the way that we deliver the product and we hope that they like it and, you know, keep pushing that forward. So in, in that regard, newsstand sales are huge for us. So we have deals in place with Flying Star, Satellite, Sprouts, Albertsons, all these places where we are right there at the register. Yep. And those didn't Sprouts come. Sprouts is where I bought my yeah, first one. There you go. And we, we have a deal with the, the distributor who, who handles Sprouts. And we have that first pocket, that very first pocket right at right above the mm-hmm. conveyor belt at the check stand. And, you know, costs us a pretty penny to have that. But mm-hmm. we think it's a good marketing tool. We just top of mind. People see it. You know, they buy it. You know, we have pretty good impulse, uh, pretty good percentage of our total readership is from people who buy on impulse at a grocery store. They're like, hey, they're at the check stand and they're like, ooh, I like this cover. Hot singles maybe, right? Right. One of the ones you saw and grab that, put it in the cart. You got to put the right single on the front though. You know what I mean? <laughs> so Do you, You're married now. You sure you want to open this can of worms? You sure you want to make this a topic of discussion? If my wife was on the front, on the, on the cover, I oh, would have, oh. I, I would absolutely buy it. Okay. Now you want like a hot married, which we've heard over the, the years. We've, the we've hot married say, couples? Yeah. We've heard people say, we should do like, uh, you know, uh, beautiful married people. Why don't you do that? Yeah, well, the in- yeah, the intention behind a single person buying that one might be a little <laughs> devious. I don't know. But well, I'm glad you bought the singles issue because, you know, we get some criticism every year. People say, hey, it's just kind of a gratuitous, kind of a sexist thing that you guys. Do. Of course, there's men and women in the, in the issue. But it, you got men, women, most... straight, gay. I mean, yeah, you're doing it absolutely. All. Yeah. all ages and, you know, all ethnicities. So but. We, that is one of our most popular issues. Oh, it's great. People are very voyeuristic with that. Oh, we look forward to this. My wife and I literally for the last three years, when like, ooh, the single issues is here. And we have a, we have this chair uh, that's like a chair and a half. It's like a big wide Mm -hmm. chair Uh in our living room. And we sit together crammed in this chair and a half (laughs) and go through and we're like, Oh, she's a hot mess. You know, <laughs> we're like, oh, he's a good-looking dude. You know, whatever. like, so we'll go through and just be like, oh man, this one's trying too hard. You know, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Because it's just, it's. I mean, and, yeah. I mean, you can you can rip on these people, but they're they're bold by putting it out there. But some of the things that people say are kind of are kind of funny. Like, yeah. there's some cheesy stuff, and you know they're holding back. You know, yeah. you know maybe that maybe the editor was like, you can't say that. Right stuff. So let's. Oh, kinda, we have to edit the heck yeah. Let's out of let's their PG answers, this me. little yeah. issue here. We've so. actually t- tried to tone it back too, and and call it the most eligible singles issue. Okay, but people still refer to it as. Now, what I does eligible do? mean? Well, in your opinion, I think the idea of uh, 
you know, I think anybody most worthy any, of a mate. Well, any of your friends that you know that are, let's say, thirty five and haven't been married. Uh-huh. I think a lot of people are like, "How come they're not married? Or when are they going to get married?" You know what I mean? It's just sure. a natural question that we ask, and so. So you, I think you start to look at those individuals and say, what, what do they have going for them? You know, that, you know, people should notice that a, a potential mate would notice. And so that's where the most eligible comes in. It's based so that's on, why none of your singles are 22. Well, our minimum age is 25. Oh, okay. so we, well, that's been a rule from the beginning, because if we just did it about, you know, sexy 22 year olds, I mean, we could fill up, you know, 400 pages <laughs> with that in a heartbeat. <laughs> right. But, you know, the, what we're looking for is people who have careers you know, who have maybe extracurricular activities, maybe they're, you know, involved in nonprofits sure. or, you know, they have a story to them. So they've been building them. They've been working on themselves. Exactly. For a long time. There's like textures and plus, yeah. you know, the physical beauty as well. And, and like you say, we diversify it. We, you know, make sure every year to get, couple, you know, some folks that are, you know, in their forties, fifties, sixties. One year we had a lady who was a hot single. She was 83 and she was a like six time gold medal senior Olympics winner. This lady was, I mean, just beautiful woman. Came to our studio for the photo shoot and spent a little time with her editors afterwards chatting. She was amazing, mm-hmm. you know, but we get all kinds. That's well, we love it. Keep it coming. <laughs> okay. like, keep it coming. It is my, my favorite, my favorite issue of the year. So I, I have to ask you, so the best, yeah. the best of Albuquerque stuff, because I just, I've just read that issue re- yep. recently. Best of the city. Best of the city. I've noticed. There are more and more categories showing. I'm like, okay, we have best dentist or best yeah. restaurant, <laughs> but now we have like best napkin holders at a restaurant. You know, like, what is that now, all about? Now, best about. best napkin holders. Uh, that was a very important category. No, I'm kidding. There's no such. Ryan is joking. There's no such category. I think it's just a reflection of our society. I'll, be, I'll give you one example. A lot of people now eat gluten free. Uh-huh. You know, it's a big deal to, you know, they don't, they, whatever their tolerance is such that they, they've got to have food that's gluten-free. So we made that a category, you know, best restaurants. So you, you adapt options. to where yeah. trends are going. Yeah. That. Okay. Is a, the best of, is that a credential that, is that, a, is that something you have to license? Because I've seen best ofs with a very similar logo in like all sorts of cities. Is yeah. that like a, is there a centralized? No, no I think oh. all of those things are sort of uh, germane to that particular market. So, you know, for us, we started it in 2005, you know, we call it best of the city. Okay. Other places, you know, Indianapolis calls theirs, you know, best of Indy and, okay, you know, whatever okay. else. So, but I think that the idea is the same in all those markets, which is, you know, we ask our readers to vote. Mm-hmm. Last year, we got about 260 some odd thousand votes. And are you serious? Yeah, absolutely. Well, think about it. If somebody asked you, Ryan, where do you vote? Where do you, where do you vote? Uh, online. Oh, wow. okay. okay. Somebody, if somebody asked you, Ryan, where, where's the, I mean, you've been around here. You're, you're, uh, become a New Mexican in the last three and a half years. Yeah, kinda, yeah. Somebody asked you, where's, where's the best place to get red chili? You're probably going to defend the place that you like the most, sure. right? Which sure. is probably Wex. Okay. Because, but, and, and I'm, I'm sure somebody will slap me upside the head for saying that, but I like. They shouldn't. That's I your, like Wex. Yeah. I love going to Wex. There you go. And they happen to have red chili. Whether I'm a chili aficionado or, yeah. or not, I just like that place. Now I'm sure there are people sitting there going, "Oh my gosh, what is this guy talking about?" But you know? see, that's just why it. not Garcia's. It's, it's or subjective, whoever, right? So yeah. the people who love Garcia's, hey, they they think Garcia's the best. Right. You like Wex. Others like Monroe's. Others like Sadie's. Others like El Pinto. But I'm not a red chili and person so, either. I'm like a green chili. I'm more of a green chili okay. person. And so, and green chili for I think uh, Frontier won this year for best green chili. People are very passionate about so it's not just food, but it's other things as well too. Like if you say you know best barbershop or best esthetician or best yoga instructor or best massage therapist or you know all these things, people are very passionate about it. So they want to weigh in, they want to be heard, right? So just has its own natural way Mm -hmm. of being a hot topic. And so we do have a lot of interest in it. We just did our big best of the city party last Friday at the convention center. You know, we had 4,000 people there. It's, Whoa, it's, the really? part, it's the biggest party of the year. And we had a hundred vendors that were showing off there. Uh, I think we had three or four sushi places. We had several Mexican restaurants. It was probably about half of those were restaurants mm-hmm. that were serving samples of whatever they got voted best, you know. Do you so, do best Albuquerque podcast? Uh, I don't know if that is a t- category. I'll have to look. Well, that I'll up. have to lobby for that we'll next have to, year. I think it is. We we do have best blogger. Like oh, best okay. local blogger. Okay, cool. Yeah, nice. Well, that's good. That's good. I did, and you, and you lobby for yourself, right? Everyone lobbies for themselves. Well, you have to use whatever advertising channel you have right. to tell people to go out and vote, right? I mean, you so, can do that. You allowed to do that? 
tell people to go to vote? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. The only thing that we only have one restriction, and that is we we tell businesses you cannot entice somebody with something free for in exchange for a vote. Okay. We had a hair salon that started doing that several years ago. They were like, "Oh, we'll give you ten dollars off if you vote for us." And so I called <laughs> them up and I said. Look, if you do that, we're not. We're going to just exclude you from the vote. So sure. they stop doing it. And every year, somebody will give it a shot. But other than that, it, you know, everything it's open. You can talk about it, promote it. We even give away voting posters that businesses put up in their stores. Right? Okay, it I has saw a QR those, code. Yeah. yeah, and people snap to it and takes them right to the voting site. Nice. So, what are you excited about most right now? Well, it is. Uh, well, as we speak, it's what December twelfth, thirteenth. And uh, a week from tomorrow, on the 20th, we, we close our offices for two and a half weeks during the holidays. We do it every year and give our staff a break. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the people we sell advertising to are gone during that time mm-hmm. anyway. So we kind of work out the schedules where everyone has that time off. So I'm looking forward to that. You know, we've been around 15 years. So I think I'm excited that we have a lot of young staff members who I'm excited to see them learn what we do and how we do it. And and it's 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 really fun to watch them, you know, not only learn how we do stuff and and to perfect that, but bring their own ideas, you know, to the table as well. But for me, I mean, I've I've been doing it long enough now to where I'm, you know, it's fun, but I don't think that it it doesn't cause me anxiety like Mm -hmm. it used to, you know, the first five years. I mean, there was always something that I was worried about or nervous about or would spend all night trying to solve. And and luckily I don't have that anymore. So what what does a day in the life of Laryl look like? Day in the life. So I'm usually at the office tip about three days out of the out of the week. I'm here by about seven. Okay. I'm just one of those early, early guys. And you're uh, a morning person? Yeah, very much so. Oh wow. Yeah. And uh go through emails and stuff like that. And during the course of a month, it's it's very different because at the beginning of the cycle, let's say the end of the cycle is when we upload the the issue, right? So that last week, it's way more hectic. We're putting the cycle is a month, essentially. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because okay. we come out once a month. And so that, that last week is, you know, we're getting last minute photo shoots. I'm helping put out fires or helping find fill in gaps that mm-hmm. we're missing. You know, at, sometimes we're missing ads or we're missing designs for ads. We, people aren't getting back to us. So, so there's a lot of that. But once the issue gets put to bed, then we have like a week of sort of, you know, exhale. Okay. Um, so it kind of goes on that cycle month by month like that. It's not just the same thing every day, you know, the same pace. So you, you get know. here at seven. Yep, you put out seven. some fires maybe if you Put out some fires, email, probably return emails, that sort of thing. Probably handles in my own personal business stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I take care of my mom's finances, you know, so pay her bills, take care of family stuff. I have, uh, I'm the legal guardian for, uh, I have uh, four nephews. Uh, that, you know, were my sister's kids. She passed away a few years ago. So taking care of their stuff, school stuff. So personal stuff, you know, mm-hmm. probably for another hour and a half. And then, you know, by that time it's about 1030 and we usually have, you know, a meeting or two in the morning, you know, internally. And then I'll go on meetings with sales team uh, members, probably handle stuff on the design and photography and editorial side, probably start looking to see if I can duck out of here around two o'clock. You know, maybe go to a movie. I go to a lot of movies during the day because my staff doesn't know this. So hopefully they don't, they're not watching. I'm like, <laughs> I've got to get to this meeting at 2.30 and really the meeting's at Century 24 right down the road. You know? <laughs> Popcorn, soda, and a movie meeting. So yeah. Are you a movie buff? Big time. Really? Oh my God. Yeah, I've probably, I've probably, I, I probably honestly see like three or so movies a week, you know, and I, I hang on to all my movie stubs. I, I just throw them in my wallet and then after a while I So what have you watched them most recently? I, I saw Knives Out um, last week. Knives Out. What is uh, that about? Knives Out. Oh, it's a great little, uh, it's a caper. It's like a. Oh, okay. Like uh, mystery thing? Yeah. Okay. It's like I saw that on 12 3 19. So about a week ago. Um, everything that's in theaters now, the only one I haven't seen because it hasn't opened here and I don't want to watch it on Netflix is The Irishman. Oh, okay. Scorsese's latest, which I hear is three and a half hours long. So Apparently, know. something like. 16% of Netflix users watched it on like the first yeah, day it came yeah. out, which is insane. Which insane. is insane. Now, I think, now I do think El Camino beat it. Though. Oh, good. I, good. I'm a, I read a statistic recently and I'm pretty sure El Camino beat the Irishman. Yeah. Which, which we should be proud of here in Albuquerque. Heck yeah. I Although it. El Camino may not show Albuquerque in the most awesome light. <laughs> you know. Hey, but it's our light. We own it. So, what's, right? what's like, what's like the best series of movies? 
that you've ever watched when it comes to like, do you have like a favorite? Like, are you all about the event of the Avengers or like Lord of the Rings or any of these? Are you, Oh my are, God, you, you are, follow a particular franchise. Well, you are naming two franchises that I don't follow. So okay. any of the Marvel, Marvel DC, I've seen just a handful. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I've, I, I never saw Avengers, Thor, Aquaman, none of, none of that. No Lord of the Rings. None of that. I was late to the game with Game of Thrones. I, I didn't. It wasn't until probably the fourth season that I saw my first episode. Then I binged all of them, and I've seen every episode probably. I could probably be a damn good Game of Thrones trivia teammate for anybody out there. Really? Yeah, I, I, I've really absorbed that series. I loved it. I think it was. Um, I think it was probably one of the best shows ever written. Oh, it's phenomenal! Yeah. Phenom- and and going back, I just watched all of them again before the final season came mm-hmm. out. Right, and boy, there are a lot of things that I missed that were just like, wow, I can't believe that they were thinking that far ahead. Right, and I do, I do agree that the showrunners kind of jumped the tracks a little bit in the last few episodes, and. You know, they sort of compressed a lot of stuff, and I think that criticism was justified. I think the way they has ABQ the bag ever done anything on George R. R. Martin? You know, we haven't. He's a Santa Fe guy, and you know, one thing I, I've always said, Ryan, is that we just don't do Santa Fe. We just don't because I think that's what Albuquerque wants to be separated mm-hmm. from Santa Fe. Santa Fe gets a lot of love, right? Sure. Nationally, they get a lot of love for their art scene. For sure. you know, the fact there's a lot of. Famous, there's celebrities that live there, George R. R. Martin, these type mm. of people. Albuquerque gets none of that. So, so you can buy their art for one third of the price here in Albuquerque. <laughs> there you go. Right? Just go to Old Town, you're yeah. fine, you know? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, we I can love- take George R. R. Martin to lunch in Albuquerque, you know. And I have seen him. I've seen him twice uh, having brunch. Uh, once was at a place called The Shed in Santa Fe, and the other place was another place right there on Cerritos. I can't remember the name of it. He's hard to miss, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got that little like, captain's little hat. hat. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And he's got the big the beard. skipper, yeah. He yeah. looks like the skipper. It's, what was kind of cool is, we're, at, you know, he was literally in the restaurant for a good half hour mm-hmm. while I was there, you know. And I don't think anybody bothered him, which is cool. That's nice. Think, yeah, because people yeah. knew who he was. It's like that in Albuquerque, too. We have so many star sightings. That, which is why I think a lot of Hollywood types love to film here because they don't get mobbed. They don't, because we know who they are, but we see so many of them. The, that the paparazzi does not live in Albuquerque, yeah. you know, right? I mean, yeah, I don't just, think I've ever seen cool. a mob of people around anybody here. I saw Vince Gilligan once at the gym. Believe it or not, I was at actually at the gym and I saw him and I, I wanted to go talk to him. And this is right like halfway through the break. And this is before mm-hmm. it became really phenomenal, okay. right? And, uh, and, I, and I knew exactly who he, what he looked like. I knew that was him. But I didn't, I didn't go say hi. I don't know why I should. I should have. Maybe I could have got a little cameo or something on the. Yeah, heck. I did audition for several parts. Didn't get any of the little. For I'll Breaking you, Bad? Oh, yeah. I'll tell you who I auditioned for. So the bartender in uh, the scene where, uh, remember the, the head on the turtle, Tortuga? Oh, yeah, yeah, So yeah. that was Danny Trejo. Got the He was the bad guy. Okay. But the bartender. Is he an Albuquerque resident? To, no. No. He's uh, from L.A., but okay. he's been in a bunch of gangster films, and he's pretty well. So. Read for that, got a, one call back, didn't get it. Read for Huel, who was Saul's, the, the big guy, Huel, oh, who yeah. was Saul's henchman. Yes. So my, my The real guy's a comedian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. a comedian. Uh, and him and Bill Burr both are comedians. And uh, so I got a call back, and on the callback, she had me just breathe. So you notice a lot of times he's sleeping because he's big, big guy, right? Uh-huh. I'm a big guy. And so he sits in the chair, and he, he kind of has this... <laughs> Like a, like he's a pug. Like, he's like a pug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> he has like a breathing issue, right? So she, so the casting director had me breathe, and so she was telling me like, like almost as if you have asthma or if you're real sleepy. And right. so I was doing that, and I didn't. This is before any of this aired, so I didn't uh-huh. know where they were going with it. But I tra- didn't get it, and you know. So then after the show aired, I, you know, I saw actor who played Huel, the character, uh-huh. and I was uh-huh. like, oh, I get it now. There, it's because you know it's part of his nuance, right? Yeah, so he's yeah. A big guy, he has trouble breathing, and I read for some other parts, didn't get that as well. So it was my dream to be a, an extra on Breaking Bad. It never happened. Well, maybe they'll El Camino 2 will come out and you'll have another <laughs> chance, you know. So El Camino was great, though. What I love the most was that the last two seasons of Breaking Bad, Walt became his own guy, right? He started calling the shots. Yeah, he, he owned started, it. Yeah, he owned yeah, it. Yeah. He owned it. And, and that stuff with Gretchen and at the very end, you know, where he went and basically just flipped the script on them, right? Mm-hmm. Owned them after they had did after they had done him wrong. Well, Jesse got his comeuppance that way in El Camino. Yes. Jesse became like, because he had been beaten down for the last two seasons, if you recall, yeah. Breaking Bad. Yeah. So El Camino was like his, hey, Jesse, this is your time to like actually, you know, get a, get a little payback. Yeah. Which I thought was awesome. 
Yeah, absolutely. And he was one of my favorite my favorite characters. I mean, obviously, yeah. Brian Cranston is awesome, but but I felt I felt that Jesse Jess, the Jesse Pink Jesse Pink who what is what is his real name? Uh, Aaron, Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul. I, yeah, I, I thought Aaron Paul was just such an incredible actor. He does losing his mind. Awesome. I mean, yeah. the crying with the snot coming out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's good. He's good at that. So, but uh, just to kind of round things out, you are obviously a reader, mm-hmm. right? Because you, you know, obviously you edit a magazine. Yeah. Or no, a couple things. First thing is what book is like, this is my, do you have like a book that is like, this is, this is the book that I always recommend people read or you, or that you've read recently that you're like, I'm all, I'm all about this. Yeah. So I've read a lot of Michael Lewis's stuff, you know, starting with Liar's Poker. And he, he just he just wrote one recently called The Fifth Risk. And what it's about is it you know, kind of takes a look at this administration, right? And how how they've kind of devalued the idea of the structure of government, right? And, you know, the president kind of ran on that whole premise, right? But this book shows you how necessary it is and how it took years, if not decades, to put into place all of these... The checks and balances and that kind yeah, of Yeah, yeah, exactly. The checks and balances and, and, and how they didn't... They weren't just haphazard. Like, they, mm-hmm. they it, it was a fight be- between Democrats, Republicans, whomever, mm-hmm. over decades to get it to this point. Mm-hmm. And it shows you, this book, The Fifth Risk, it shows you how in peril we are now because positions haven't been filled you know, they're not funding these things or not. And I think, you know, part of the problem is that a lot of these departments have been looked at as being unnecessary when, in fact, they really are. Mm-hmm. They weren't just created overnight by somebody. They, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, you know, it's a necessary thing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if you look at, I don't know, buildings or whatever, and, you know, over, there's a reason we have carpet on the floor. You know, there, there's a reason we have a heating system set up a certain way. There's a reason mm-hmm. there's lights in a certain way. It's like because it was a need for that. Right. right. And so it was like somebody came in and just said, you know, we don't need these lights. Turn you can't haphazardly just put a sprinkler system in. Exactly. Think it's going to work. Yeah. And so the, the, it's such an interesting book. But Michael Lewis, I've been reading him forever. He also wrote The Blind Side. And, so is he a p- more political commentary? Uh, a little bit. But I think a lot of it, his is like a, on, you know, let, let's say he basically takes processes and kind of dissects them. You know, in a very so is, cool is it a way, is it a partisan book or can you I mean can you look at it from a real non biased um, standpoint or you know I think you can yeah I, I think you can I think what what he's really pointing out is kind of the danger of of somebody coming in and just stripping something mm-hmm. away and saying mm-hmm. we don't need any of this we're, we're good without it mm-hmm. and then and then he's showing well well here's here's the problem you know but one of the chapters in the book points out this whole thing about you know the how we get our weather mm-hmm. right AccuWeather and it shows how the privatization of that process is so dangerous, you know, because we look at that as public information, mm-hmm. you know, is, was it 63 degrees, degrees today or is it 58 degrees today? Right. Well, there's only one it's number, not up for right? Debate. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. up for debate. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. But in the way in which it's being manipulated on, when people are privatizing that information, mm-hmm. they could change that for their own gain. And so he kind of points that out in, a, in so many ways. But you know, I'm getting off too much on he, when you say like a seminal book for me, there isn't one. I enjoy reading, you know, his stuff. I think the, one of the best books I've ever read is uh, by a writer named Armin Katan, who's a, an old sports writer. He used to write for Sports Illustrated. And he wrote a book called Raw Recruits back in like the late 80s. And it detailed the scandal in college basketball of how coaches, programs, boosters were paying recruits to come to their schools. Oh, okay. And it just kind of like stripped all that bare. And the funny thing is, I mean, there's still scandal in in sports and in college sports, mm. you know, and this book kind of stripped all that away like 40, 35 years ago. And then we still have it, you know, so mm. it's kind of interesting. It's like we're just repeating. College sports make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. No kidding. And now they're talking about, you know, even giving the players the ability to cash in on their own likeness. To be like you know? endorsement, endorsement deals yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, to get paid could, for Could you own. imagine giving a 20-year-old that much money? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I oh think, my goodness! I think this is where sports is headed for real. I think in the future, games are not going to be played to be won. I think fans will have a say electronically on deciding what plays to call, who gets the ball, who gets the ball thrown to them, etc. And then, yeah, it's the, called the Hunger Games. That's what it's. You yeah, haven't seen that. <laughs> no, I, that's part see, of. No, see, that's like, that's one of those franchises like uh, Lord you, of the Rings. I haven't you need seen. to go watch the Hunger okay. Games because if, if what you just said right is like. Is like the screen okay. pops up and it's like, should we kill her or should we not kill her? 
You know, like I didn't you know vote, this. You know, I didn't know this. That, I mean, that's that's kind of horror. That's a little horrifying, <laughs> right? So, yeah, the gamifying of games is yeah. probably really scary. I got to see Hunger Games now. I never had a need to see it before. I thought it was just like a, a you know, movie for you know young young kids to get. You know, I don't know. I we'll, had no idea what we'll it was. St- we'll start with Top Golf, and okay. you know, a martini in one hand and a, yeah. and a driver in the other. And, in, you know, we'll be really excited when when we can see our ball on the little where where it pop ends up out there in the field and, and so forth. And uh, hopefully we'll very slowly transition into uh, this whole horrifying Hunger Games football yeah. game thing. Yeah. So this has been really cool to talk to you. Well, thanks. You too. One last it. question. Sure. How, how many magazines do you have to print every month that's 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 a question that i I like numbers it depends on who's on the cover so we just kind of gauge how well we think a particular cover would sell food and pets sell a little better but we can't just throw food and pets on every cover so you know we kind of gauge it you know based on that and of course we have a set number of subscribers so you know on the issue that's on newsstands now we printed 25,000 of those because it's a double issue so it's on newsstands all of December all of January mm-hmm. but on a typical month we're printing about 15,000 copies of the mag okay yeah great that's, that's i just I, I had to ask that question yeah so Laryl, it's been really a pleasure to sit here and talk with you and thank you and i like some of the rabbit holes that we were able to go down <laughs> here as well i like the movie hearing about the movie stuff and yeah. a little bit of the non-magazine stuff too is, is pretty cool yeah. so so happy to have you thank you very much I, I appreciate the time and you know look forward to you know hearing this on your site and maybe hearing some of the other i know you've got some pretty there's a pretty cool lineup of people you've done podcasts with so i want to hear some of those too yeah We'll hope to grab you as a subscriber as well. All right. Thank you. All right, Albuquerque, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Review on iTunes as well. I will read all of those reviews. I don't miss anyone. And listen every week to ABQ Cast. If you head on over to abqcast.com, you will see a link for our group, ABQ Insiders. Join us there on Facebook or just search us up on Facebook, ABQ Insiders, and you can be one of the inner circle. So hope you enjoyed today and we look forward to touching base with you next week. Thanks so much.